Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. As you make your way back to your seats, if you have your hard copy Bible or you're reading um, the Bible on your iPad, iPhone, smartphone, I want you to Hold that Bible high up in the air. Come on, how many are excited for the Word of God this morning? I don't know about you, but my heart is just on fire this morning. I want you to say this with me. Oh, we got to stand up. Can you stand to your feet? Let's stand to your feet. And remain standing as I read the Word of God. It's my custom. It says, this is the infallible. Come on, say it with conviction. This is the infallible. Undisputed and inerrant word of God. Today, I open up my heart, mind, spirit, and soul to receive from its truths. God, I thank you that fruit will abound to my account as a result of reading, hearing, and applying your word to every area of my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say, in Jesus' name. Remain standing for the reading. And it says this in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And I'll be concluding at verse 32. It says this, then he said, a certain man had two sons. Everybody say, two sons. And the younger one of them said to his father, father... Give me the portion of the goods that fall to me. The younger ones are always the stingy ones. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all There arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs or swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that which the swine ate from, and no one gave him anything. Isn't it funny how people take from you, but when when you're in need, nobody to be found? They didn't mind parting with him. Amen. But when he came to himself, thank God that God gives us an awakening every now and again. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will then arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Thank God he was waiting. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and his sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. 
For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they begin to be merry. And now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near the house and he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and he would not go in to the party. And therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I, make, that I might make merry with my friends. But soon as this son of yours comes, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. You may have your seats. Growing up without a father... um, I do not have any personal reference from the natural standpoint of the good son or the bad son that we're seeing here. Um, I had no father, um, which obviously would leave a huge hole uh, in any young man or young woman's heart. I don't say this arrogantly, but I, but I say this super confidently. Um, it was tremendously eerily easy for me to assume the role of being a father to my children. My method, it was super elementary and effective. I thought, um, my thought process was this. Just give your kids what you longed for. I mean, it's pretty, pretty easy mathematics. I mean, I didn't have a present father, so... Uh, I choose to be home with my kids and play with them before the sun goes down every day. I didn't have that, so I just said, hey, that's what I wanted. That's what they're going to get. I mean, it's not um, out of the ordinary to catch pastor at home running around chasing lizards with his kids when like some people who don't like reptiles are looking like, oh, my gosh. I'm chasing my daughter Zoe and her little Mickey Mouse electric car. I'm anything but a pastor. I'm just dad when I get home. We're back swinging in the backyard on the little play set. So I just, I just, it was really easy for me. I longed for that. Any, any young man who doesn't have that. And so you can grow up either two ways. or You can either allow your lack of having a father give you an excuse to be a deadbeat. Come on. Or you can have it inspire you to give to your kids that which you did not have, whether you're a mother or a father. And I almost didn't want to preach this message because, again, I had no reference point. But the Holy Spirit gently nudged me and said, you preach this message. And I believe that this is the word for the hour this morning. I love the idea of having dinner with family. Now, thank God I didn't lack this. My mother made sure just about five days a week we all had hot meals and we sat down together as a family. And so at least four or five out of seven days of the week, we are at the table saying grace together. That's what us country folk call it. We say grace. Somebody say grace. 
We say grace. We used to call it supper, not dinner. It's old country talk, but it's not out of the ordinary to see me sitting down with my family five nights out of the week. Friday, we all go out to dinner, but, but at least Monday through Thursday, we're sitting down together as a family without any tech, without any phones, and we talk about each other's day. Sometimes things get frustrated. Sometimes one of the kids will have to leave the, the table early, but nonetheless, we're at that table. Growing up, I heard about all these horror stories of family members, things happening to family members because they allowed their children to just go to Lottie Dottie in everybody's house. Um, not so um, in my families. And, and if you may be thinking, you just have to trust the Lord. I do trust the Lord. I just don't trust the devil. Come on, somebody say amen. Somebody say there's a devil on the loose. What I'm trying to say is there's something that is to be said about fatherless homes versus fathering homes. And I do have to say this, just a little prerequisite. Um, you can have a father who's present physically and absent emotionally and cause the same damaging effects. Okay? Just look straight if this applies to you in any, any way, shape, or form. But just because you have an earthly father who's present doesn't mean you will not have struggles. Now, this young man that I'm talking about uh, relating to the prodigal son, he had a father who was loving, affirming. He gave stability, structure. He has all the qualities that make up the recipe of a great father, yet it was not enough for the prodigal son. As I was reading this um, story, uh, I felt... Honestly, a slight sense of uh, jealousy. You know how, like, you have triggers. Oh, you don't have triggers? You don't have triggers when somebody talks to you in a certain way? You go from holy to being hood real quick? You know, that's, that's what I'm talking I was triggered. But in this case, I had a trigger because it was like, man, I did not, I did have no reference point to a good daddy here. And so I was, I was triggered with a little bit of jealousy and judgment because I thought to myself, if I, if I had a daddy or a father in my life, I wouldn't have had half the struggles that I've had, not half the battles in my life. And then the Lord spoke to my heart and said this, and I wrote it down. Although it's a true blessing for a man or a woman to have a present father in their life, there is a part of you that will remain deeply unsatisfied because it's a part of you that God created and it's only for him to occupy. Look at somebody and say, it's just for him. And so as, I, I, as the Lord spoke this to me, because no matter what you do, you do know that if you can try everything. You can have a, a well-paying job. You can, be, you can be healthy. You can even be holy. But there is this, this God-shaped hole in every man's heart, and it's in the shape of a father. Every person in here. There's not one person under the sound of my voice. There's not one person watching on Facebook Live. There's not one pastor. There's not one clergy. There's not one bishop. There's not one apostle. There's not one teacher. There's not one prophet. There's nobody who lives in the world today who doesn't have this aching wound to be loved and affirmed and nurtured by a father. And I'll take it beyond that. Even if you had a great father, and I know some people who grew up with great dads 
who loved them, affirmed them, taught them how to balance a checkbook and sent them to school to get a degree and they still had a fracture in their life. That's because there's, there's nothing that can solve our earthly problem. It takes something heavenly. It takes something divine and that comes from the divine love and inspiration that only comes from our heavenly father. Look at somebody and say, it only comes from Jesus. And so as I'm thinking about this story, I'm sitting at 6 a.m., in my living room, I'm all snuggled up. I'm just, Lord, speak to me. And all of, the, all of the sudden, the Lord reminds me of this beautiful story. It was nowhere on my radar. Certainly, it was by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for his inspiration. And he gave me this story of Jesus when Jesus was 12 years old. It's the only place in the Bible. I believe it's only found in the book of Luke. There's nowhere else in the Bible. And there's a very short few verses about Jesus' adolescence. And I want to read it to you. It says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 50. It says, it's in the, the Passion Translation, which I really love. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to worship at Jerusalem during Passover, the festival. When Jesus turned 12, so it was around his birthday, his parents took him to Jerusalem to observe the Passover as it was their custom. A full day after they began their journey home, Joseph, Jesus' father, and Mary realized that Jesus was missing. They had assumed he was somewhere in their entourage, but he was nowhere to be found. After a frantic search among the relatives, friends, and so on, Mary found Mary and Joseph returned to Jerusalem to search for him, and being separated from him for three days, oh Lord Jesus. I remember when Zoe like walked into a crowd at one of these theme parks for like 20 seconds and I'm like losing it. For three days, they couldn't find Jesus. They found him in the temple sitting among the Jewish, Jewish teachers, listening to them and asking them probing questions. And all who heard him speak were awestruck at his intelligence and his understanding. All of what was being discussed and his wise answers to their questions. And his parents were shocked to find him there. So Mary scolded him like any, other, any good mother would, saying, Son, your father and I have searched for you everywhere. We have been worried sick over not finding you. Why would you do this to us? And Jesus said to them, Why would you need to search for me? A little sarcastic teen. I would have put him over my knee. Not Jesus, though. Not Jesus. Any other teen, though. Why would you need to search for me? Did you not know, and this verse is why I'm here, did you not know that it was necessary for me to be here? What's the next verse say? In my father's house, consumed with him. And Mary and Joseph didn't fully understand what Jesus meant. What's interesting to me is that after Jesus was born and after Jesus turns 12 in Jerusalem and he's found in his father's house, here's what the Holy Spirit reminded me of. There is no more mention of Joseph, which would be Jesus' earthly dad. We don't know if he got sick and passed away. Scripture says he was a holy and he was a just man. So the scripture gives no indication of his earthly father after this. So we're not sure what happened to him. We don't know if he went to war, he got sick, or what have you. 
But why did I say this? Why did I read this about Jesus being in his father's house and where he was found? Because there is a critical part of your being that will remain deeply unsatisfied no matter how hard you try to fill the voids. It's the eternal part of you. Everybody say internal. It's your spirit, okay? And this part of you has to be spiritually fed. It has to be nurtured. It has to be developed. Then and only then will you ultimately be satisfied. And the place that that is is found in the title in this message that I'm so excited to preach. And it's called The Father's House. Do you know that most needs that we have, we go looking for outside in the world and it's really found in the Father's house? I believe that we are going through a time and a season where God is restoring, not just restoring, but even creating a greater glory outside of, inside, excuse me, inside of his house. We talk about home churches and I'm a huge proponent of fellowship and small churches and gatherings all of that, that are off the radar and off the map. We need to preach this gospel, not just inside the four walls of the church, but everywhere. But can I tell you that the apostles, you know where the apostles came out of? Do you know where the, the prophets came out of, the teachers, and, and all of the fivefold ministry giftings? They came from pews out underneath a tent in a church somewhere. They were born in a church somewhere. They, they, they grew up listening to to the word of God when the glory used to fill the church. Come on, there was a day when God was evident among his people. And I believe that God is restoring that even now. I believe that even now he's restoring an insatiable hunger and desire to get back to church, to get back into the house of the Lord. And I'm not saying that the father's house is a building because you and I both know what the scripture says. It says that God does not dwell in temple made with hands. He doesn't dwell in temple made with hands, something that man can build, but he does dwell in the inward heart. But can I tell you something? That there is a special presence and a special release that God gives as we gather corporately. There's some things that you're only going to get from God corporately and not privately. Because you know what? If he were to give us all the goods privately, it would inspire us not to come to the house of the Lord. Oh, y'all ain't talking to me this morning. And there's some special things that God releases, and I won't be able to cover in this message in its entirety all that God releases when we get to the Father's house, but I will certainly cover a few. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, just communicate a couple of lighter uh, sides of those points before we really dig into the meat of this. But one of, the, one of the main things, and this word means a whole lot. It doesn't just mean finances, but there's one thing that the Lord provides for the believer inside the Father's house. Somebody say the church. And, and that's one, one thing that he is and becomes for the believer is provision. Somebody say provision. Now, I want, I want you to hear this. I know I've read a lot of scripture this morning. I want to backtrack back to where the prodigal son was. It says, the younger son said to the father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided it to the, to the children. And not many days after, the younger son gathered it all together, journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But he spent all and he began to get in want. Now, now listen to this. One of the biggest lies I think that there is in Christianity is that God is a means to your provision. We think that way. Honestly, I've taught that way. So I'm publicly repenting that God is a means to provision, not really realizing it. I've just changed it and it's evolved. Okay. So he's not a means to provision. He is provision. 
Somebody say God is provision. One of his names is Jehovah Jireh. What does Jehovah Jireh mean? Come on, talk to me, somebody. He is a, he is a provider. So, so God is, not, you coming to the house of the Lord doesn't, doesn't just inspire him to bless you. We have to get the revelation that when you get connected to God, he is provision. He, he, when you connect to him, he's a vine. When you connect to a vine, you by default get what he is. So if you connect to him, you connect to the Father's house, what do you think tithes and offerings and giving into the kingdom is all about? It gives you the ability to connect to something that's greater than you. It gives you the ability to connect financially and spiritually because it's one in, one in the same. Connect spiritually and, and financially to something that's greater than your own earthly kingdom. It's called a heavenly kingdom. And as a result of being connected to a provider, you then in turn get provided for. So Jesus is not a vehicle that gets you to your destination. He is the ultimate destination. You see, you see what I'm saying? You know, when I started my business almost 20 years ago, I'm about to go on two decades of doing, it's crazy for me to even think that. I'm about to go on two decades of working in the field that I've been working in. I started when I was a 17-year-old boy. I'm now 36 years old, going on 20 years. And you know what? When I first started, when I went to church, I would tithe and I would give extra offerings because I was like, Lord, I, I, I need you to help bless me so I can, this is, this is the vehicle. God, God's blessing is the vehicle so I can get to my purpose and the calling that God was calling me to. Not really realizing that later years down the road that I would no longer want those things like I used to want them. This was the vehicle that actually drove me to my knees to get to Jesus. You know it's from God. When You see what I'm saying? I started this business. I'm like, oh, God, I want you to just bless it. This is the vehicle to get me to my destination. All the while that Jesus was the one at the end of my rainbow. And, and when we begin to try to make him a vehicle as a means to get somewhere or to have something or to get blessed with something, we li will live unsatisfied in our lives because Jesus is the only one who can satisfy ultimately. He said to the woman at the well, she had been married five times. If men were her ultimate destination or the thing that would ultimately satisfy her, she would have found that in the first marriage, but she didn't find it in the first marriage, the second or the third one, the woman at the well. She didn't even find it in the fourth or fifth one. Can I tell you, if she would have gotten married 10 more times, it still would not have satisfied her. You can start a business that thrives, and it may be, you may experience little highs and, 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 and places where, oh God, I see your blessing, your hand on here. You'll see, have little levels of happiness, but can I tell you, it will not sustain you long term. It will, money will not sustain you long term. Let me ask you something. There has been times, I'm sure, where God has come through financially and you've been able to pay a certain bill. But can I tell you, there's always bills to get to next. There's always something next. There's always going to be, it's always something we hear that thing because nothing will ultimately satisfy. Relationships will not ultimately satisfy. They may add to life, but they will not ultimately satisfy. If she would have got married 10 more times, she would have still been broken. But people ultimately cannot satisfy our insatiable, unquenching need for love because only Jesus can do that. Your business can't do that. Your calling cannot do that. I don't care if you're, you're singing up in front of five, 10,000 people. It will not satisfy you. If your bills remain paid, let me tell you something. The devils will see to it that you'll have something else to pray about. 
a kid will act up or, you know, one of your kids or something will happen. A, a love, you may lose a loved one. All these different things, nothing ultimately satisfy. The thing that's, that we should be chasing that's at the end of the rainbow is Jesus. Everybody say that. It's Jesus. He's the ultimate goal. He's the ultimate vehicle. He's the one who ultimately brings lasting satisfaction. Because he goes on to tell this woman at the well, he says, whoever drinks this water, and when I hear that word water, I'm thinking, I think about the world. Whoever drinks the world's water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of my water, Jesus said, his water, not my water, his water, will never thirst again because it will become in them like a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, if you're thirsty, it's like Jesus is like a fountain that you get hooked up to that never runs dry. Your job will run dry. One day your marriage might run a little dry. Come on, but Jesus never runs dry. He's a wellspring. He's a, he's a spring of water that never runs dry. Thank you, Jesus. Over the years, I've seen people's lives in complete disarray. As you can, I've been doing and in ministry, whether directly or indirectly, for about, I don't know, now a little longer than 15 years, but about 15 years. And they come to church for a quick fix. Can I just tell you this? Quick, fi quick fixes are no longer going to do. And they come to church long enough to just get their lives back in order. Just long enough for God to get their finances in order, get their marriage in order, get their grades in order. Come on, I'm trying to make it practical. Get you delivered from whatever it is you feel that you need deliverance of. And, and then they, what happens is that they go on their, their merry way. It's no different than the prodigal son because that's exactly what he did. Give me what's rightfully mine so I can go. And Jesus knows and discerns our heart motives for even coming to church. He discerns that. Look at somebody and say, he discerns all. He has an all-seeing eye. Now listen to this. As long as the prodigal son stayed connected to the father's house, provision never stopped. Can I just tell you this? And I don't say this privately. The Lord knows my heart. For as many years as I've been going to church, I never stopped going to church, and I've never lacked once. And it's not because I'm smart. I will show you, I will show you, uh, what was I going to say? I have zero degrees and ain't never been broke. You can have more degrees than a thermometer. If you don't have God's favor, even what you get won't be breathed on and it won't sustain you, and it'll be like having holes in your money bag. That's what the scripture talks about. When you stay connected to him, when you give into him, and I don't just mean financially, I mean give your heart. You, you stay connected. He's the true vine. Whoever stays connected to him, you will be provided for because he is indeed a provider. Say he's a provider. And as long as that son stayed connected, he had the father's resources. But as soon as he got the resources and tried to go about his merry way, his resources, his providence, his, the provision dried up. Jesus is not the vehicle to get to your destination. He rather uses vehicles to get you to that ultimate destination, which is him. He is, like I said earlier, the ultimate destination. Listen, this prodigal son had the house, but not the father. Do you know you can go to church and not have the father? 
Do you know you can sit in here Sunday by Sunday and never experience the presence that I'm talking about and the presence we're trying to go after and linger in? Did you know that? This prodigal son, he had the father's pocket, but he didn't have his heart. He had the father's roof over his head. He had the church, so to speak. He had the house, but he didn't have the father. How many want the father? And I I truly believe that, as I said earlier, that the Lord is restoring an insatiable hunger for his presence, for his fathering hand to be in our lives like never before. Do do you know that this this is what happens, is that most people seek everything else and end up finding that it leads to nothing? Can I be transparent this morning? You know what I grew up in church chasing? I didn't realize this. I didn't realize it because I was so engulfed in the culture of it. And you don't realize it. And I thought I was pursuing Jesus the whole time. For years, I sat underneath a teaching. And I, I am the man I am today because of this. It was a great man of God. He passed on now. But it seemed like the culture, now that in retrospect, now that I'm standing back from it over 10 years later and looking kind of down on it now, we, we made this more about our calling than about God. Like we made it, we were rushing to get to that pulpit. Like just, it was, God, how are you going to use me? And those are great things. You should want God to use you. But you should not want God to use you more than you want God. Did, did you hear what I said? If, 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 you are, if you are seeking a calling more than you're seeking him, you are falling into idolatry. That's what we call it. If, if you are seeking to get married more than you're seeking him, if you're seeking a job or you're seeking to build even a ministry, if you're seeking to build a reputation, if you're seeking to build a Roth RIA or, or, or 401k, you're, you're wanting to build your bank account. If you're, if you're spending more energy and time in doing that, then there is a problem. We have to get back to seeking him because everything will come as a result of seeking him. Because he guarantees whoever seeks me diligently will be rewarded. God rewards diligent seekers. He, does, he wants to reward us with those things, but those rewards cannot be take precedence over our relationship with him. I wish I would get somebody to say Amen. And this is the same trap. Listen to this. This is the same trap that Adam and Eve fell into. God provided this lush garden, gives him a job, naming the animals, meaning Adam, tend the sheep. He gives him a wife, and and so he has his God, his wife, and his food. Really, that's all men need, by the way. That was kind of funny. You have the Lord, have food, have your wife. That's it. That's all really man needs. And and then what happens is... uh, Eve comes along, and this is the only time a woman has ever been wrong in the history of humankind, by the way. You were wrong the other day, and you know you were. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know, when your wife is wrong, just, you know, you just have to kind of put that one in your pocket because it's not going to happen again for a while, you know. Satan tricks Eve into believing that there is more out there than God has to offer. And can I tell you, outside of the Father's house, there is no real answers. Can I just say it? We think the answer is in the White House, and it'll never be in the White House. Can I tell you where the answer is? 
It's in the Father's house. It's in the Father's house. It's where his word is being preached. It's where his presence is. What do we get? We get his presence. We get his teaching. We get, we, we, we get instruction in the, the way that we should live godly. There's, and in his presence is fullness of joy, the Bible says. In his presence, you, you know what I'm learning? His presence is actually therapeutic. There's times when I get in God's presence, and I, I mean, the other day, I was really struggling. I felt like I had the weight of the world. I had 100,000 things to do on my checklist, and every time I would check one off, I would just get more stressed. And I, said, and I just, I stopped. I asked my wife to pray for me. I called. I said, pray for me. And as soon, literally when I hung up the phone, literally, I felt I was worried because I wasn't worried anymore. I just, it was, a, it was a sovereign move of heaviness that just lifted off me all of a sudden. And I called her back. I said, I'm pretty good. I'm good now. She said, honey, I just had prayed for you. And me and Zoe stopped what we were doing. We prayed. And I just, I felt peace for the rest of the day. I was looking at my schedule. I'm like, there's no way this is going to happen. And just in my mind, I'm just like, nah, you know, praise the Lord. Why? Because his presence will lift every burden. It doesn't matter if Trump's in office. It doesn't matter if Biden's in office. Let me tell you, our ultimate peace doesn't come from our government. It will not come from our systems. It won't come from, from your finances. It won't come from your degrees, even if you have more degrees than a thermometer. It will not come from that. It will not come from checking off your checklist. It comes from the Father's house. And when you dwell in his house, you stay connected to him. When you're connected to him, you get everything that's in his nature to give you peace, joy, righteousness, Righteousness, holiness, come on, provision, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Come on, somebody say amen to that. And he also gives joy. There's joy in the Father's house. His in his presence is fullness of joy. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness means that you had a happy day at church, but then you go home to a fighting household. Happiness is up and down, roller coaster. You cannot trust it. But when I, can I tell you what you can trust is when you get connected to the Father's house and to his heart. Somebody say his heart. You will have joy to face any storm, any difficulty, any frustration, any bankruptcy. Come on, any, any, come on, anybody leaving you, anybody rejecting you, as long as you have the Lord, you have, you're connected to the Father's house and to his heart, you will have everything that you need to walk through life successfully and joyfully. Because that's ultimately what we're all seeking for. And that's what the prodigal son was after, I believe. It wasn't that he didn't have finances. He had finances in the Father's house. I believe he was on a quest to find joy. And he felt it existed outside the Father's house. His father wasn't trying to keep him from having fun. He was trying to keep him from the pain of being outside of his house. I have people call me all the time. They stop going to church. They stop going to the father's house. Oh, pastor, my, my life's falling apart. Where you been? Come on, y'all ain't saying nothing to nobody. If you want joy, you have to stay connected to the joy center. If you want Provision, stay connected to the provider. Yes, God lives outside of the house, but there's something that he does, especially in the corporate gatherings. The Bible says, forsake not your assemblings of yourselves together. Because there's a special release, there's a special presence, there's a special anointing that he releases when we gather and when we stay connected to him. And would I be lying if I said that God doesn't have boundaries? Yes, he does. But I tell Zoe to stay away from the stove for a reason. 
The Lord says stay away from premarital sex for a reason. Can I talk about it just real quick? He, he, says, he, he says to live a holy life for a reason. He's not trying to keep you from having fun. He's trying to keep you from being robbed of the fun. It goes all the way down to the most simplest of things that try to rob us of our joy. You can't lie to somebody and feel good about yourself. There's some kind of shame, guilt, and condemnation there. I tell, I tell my son Cohen, if I catch him, you know, saying something that I know is not the full truth, nothing but the truth, so help him God. When I catch him in the, what do you, he'll call a little white lie. I say, son, you do more than just hurt my heart. You hurt God's heart, and you make yourself feel shameful for doing that. And you're not just connect, disconnecting from me. You're connect, disconnecting from the Lord. Anytime there's, that's what God wants to protect us from. And here's what I tell him. I said, listen, you can do it the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is tell someone exactly what you did, even if there's a little consequence. But can I tell you this? When you, when you don't tell the truth, there are larger consequences that will ultimately come that you can't see. And it's the same thing with adults. We have to make Choices that are in line with the word of God so that we can experience the fullness of joy. Can I just tell you something? I have no fear of telling people the truth anymore. And I sleep really good at night. How many want to sleep good at night? Look at somebody and say, tell the truth then. People are ultimately not looking to sin in their life or to do things that are wrong. They are looking for joy. And when we stay connected to the Lord, we will ultimately find that joy. You know, you know what John Hagee said? I love this quote. He says, sin will take you further than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and pay more than you ever wanted to pay. And this is what the Lord wants to keep us from. He doesn't want to keep us from front. He wants to keep us from going down the slippery slide of unrighteous living and God want, the enemy wants you to sin against God. Look at somebody and say, he wants you to. I almost preached a message recently. Uh, I was going to entitle it something like, um, here's what you do if you don't want God. All the things you should do if you don't want God. And there's nothing that the enemy wants you to do than be out of step with God because his goal is to not just get you out of position with God. He wants to rob you of true joy serving him. I was talking to somebody the other day. There was a pastor. I was talking to a, a friend of mine, and this pastor was going through something. I said, there's a difference between doing ministry and doing ministry in the Lord. If you do ministry, it will drain you. Let me just tell you that. People will hurt you. People won't show up. No. People will tell you they're going to be there and won't be there. People will hurt you, but when you do it in the Lord and you're doing it unto the Lord, they can't steal your joy because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for him. Amen. And that's what we should do. Everything, everything that we are to do is to be done in the Lord. Somebody say in the Lord. In the Lord. And the, one of the biggest lies is that we can find that kind of joy outside of Jesus, but we can't. We can't find true joy outside of him. If you read these Pauline epistles, Pauline epistles are in the New Testament, it's after the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's, there's what you call the epistles. They're the Pauline epistles. Paul wrote them. And here's this phraseology that he uses over and over again. He says this. He uses this phrase, in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. 
He says, in Christ, over and over again. Why do I say that? Because God created joy, and we cannot experience true joy outside of being in him. Did you hear what I said? You cannot get true joy out of just doing. You get joy out of being. You know I pastor this church in Christ. That's why I love it. I love my job because I'm doing it in him. The other day, these guys thought I was crazy. Joel probably thought I was crazy. We bought this new piece of machinery. It cost a few thousand dollars. And, and I said, guys, come on. We're all going to get around this thing, and we're going to pray over this machine. They must have thought I was crazy. He, he said, I inspired him by doing that. We unboxed it. We unpacked it. And we just laid hands on it and dedicated it to the Lord like we were dedicating a baby here. And he, it, was kinda, it was halfway funny when I thought about it, but I've never really thought about it because everything that I've done as it relates to my company, I would like to think I've done it in God. And that's, that's, that's where the enemy tries to capture, capture us. Is we, we, the only time we do something in Christ is we do it in church. You see? But your life is to be hidden with him. Everything that you do in raising your kids, in your business, in your work. and Listen, you will not want to serve that, your employer if you're not doing it in Christ. As a matter of fact, you want to do the opposite. Look at my wife laughing. You, you thinking something about your boss? Everything that we do has to be done in him. Everything. Pray in him. Go to church in him. Work as unto him in him. It all has to be done in him because if you don't do it in him, you won't have the energy nor the strength to carry on continually. It has to be done in him because there's rest in him. There's provision in him. There's joy in him. There's strength in in him. There's grace. There's all these different things that are available in him. And when you try to do something outside of him, listen, those kids will drive you crazy if you don't do it in him. Going to school will drive you crazy if you don't do it in him. Because there's grace. Grace means the ability to do something that he requires of you to do. It's a strength that you don't have. I don't have no earthly strength to get up every Sunday morning at four o'clock in the morning and preach. But when I do it in him, it's a whole lot easier. It's actually fun. Look at somebody and say, do it in him. Work in him. Pray in him. Go to church in him. In Christ, it all has to be done in him. Hallelujah. What else is in the Father's house? I love this. It's probably my favorite. There's peace and there's presence. Do you know what I used to make a priority? Church was utmost precedence to me. And I was in church three, four days a week. Three or four days a week, like several hours. We didn't have church. We had church. Look, he looks he's like this friend of mine that I'm telling you about. And um, he, sa he says to me, because um, he has a daughter who has um, physical uh, uh, limitations, and he's like, I just don't know how we'd be able to, you know, because your services are sometimes two, two and a half hours, three hours. I said, well, how long are y'all services? And I knew the answer. I just wanted him to hear what it, he was going to say. He said, they're literally in about 50 minutes. So they have worship. They have the word. They have the benediction and prayer within about 50 minutes, less, an hour or less. And I'm like, how do you get God to move within that hour? Because he doesn't move within time slots. But I grew up in a church that was, you know, three, four hours long. And so 
This, but, but let me tell you something. When you get in God's presence, though, I want you to hear me. When you are in God's presence, when he truly comes, and let's be honest, he's not, he's not overwhelming this place every single Sunday. That is not the case. But I want to tell you, when he shows up, though, time is of the essence. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He, when he comes in, he's, it's so thick. You, there's no amount of, there's no rush. There's just this tangible presence that you feel. You don't want to rush through it. And let me tell you something. If you really want God to come, and that's what I'm trying to build a culture of, is lingering. Because I want, I want the Lord to know. Can I share my heart? I want the Lord to know that he can come here and I won't rush him. I want him to know that. I want him to know that you can come and you can move among us and I will step out of the way. You can do whatever it is you want to do. And there are times when we lay out the carpet and he doesn't seem to show up. But let me tell you something. Sunday after Sunday, you can count on this church never evolving from making room for him. That's what we're here to do. Because his presence and his peace is what makes the difference. Now, I'm, it's not that I'm not okay with a 50-minute service, but how can God do surgery on a heart in a 15-minute worship service? When there's major surgery that needs to be done, there was somebody who went to surgery the other day. It was hours long because it was a major surgery. We come in here needing all of us. I need, you need, we need, our family needs, our spouses need major surgery. And if God's going to get his work done, it's going to take more than 15 minutes. I wish I would get an amen for that. It takes time. And money can buy a lot of things, but can I tell you, it cannot buy peace and it can't buy presence. And in the Father's house, his presence and his peace can be found. You ever try to go for peace and the more you strive for it, the more you try to get through your checklists, the more it eludes you? At least it does for me. The problem is that there's a special sense that God releases, a special sense of his presence, his power, and his peace, and it can only be found in the Father's house. Everybody say, in the Father's house. house. Can I tell you one of my secrets when I get here on Sunday mornings? You may all feel this way, but there are things I get here that I cannot get at home. I'm ready to get here come Sunday morning. And sometimes it's a real struggle. Don't ever let me make you think that it's easy getting here. Sometimes I have to fight the devil to get here. But let me tell you something. When I get here, his presence is here waiting on me. Why it works that way, I don't know. Maybe because if I could get it at home, I would maybe slack up some. I don't know what it is. But there's something specially that he releases in the corporate gathering. This is why it's so important for us to gather in the Father's house. Because he releases a special anointing, a special presence. He releases a special word. And there's some things he's doing in you guys. Even right now, you can't even see it. You know why? Because you're in the Father's house. Look at somebody and say that. You're in the Father's house. And lastly, I want you to stand to your feet. I'm done, but I'm not done. There is safety in the Father's house. Safety in the Father's house. 
as long as the prodigal son was in the father's house, he was safe. But as soon as he stepped out from that hedge of being connected to the father's house, he was connected. Everybody say he was connected. But, it, but as soon as he left the father's house, the Bible says he began to be in want. When you leave the father's house, when you get disconnected from that, the hedge lifts. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's been times where you have disconnected from God. You've disconnected from church or, and let's just be honest, not every church is the Father's house. I'd like to think this one is. And then when we wake up one day and we've missed being at the Father's house six months, a year, or however long it is, we wake up and, and, and we see and we look around and all this stuff has been happening in our lives. And, and I, listen, let me tell you something. There's people that I know that are in this room. There's people on the keyboards, a person on the keyboard that I know right now that being in the Father's house doesn't exempt you from pain. It doesn't exempt you from pain. But, but do you know why I believe that you have been sustained in your pain? It's because you haven't left the Father's house. Because he'll sustain you. Because there's safety. There's safety in the Father's house. There's a hedge of protection. And it's not that when you leave church, God loves you less. That's not that. But it's like an umbrella. Watch what David says in the Psalms. In Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why would he dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Because there was something that the house of the Lord provided that the world couldn't. Provision, protection, peace, presence, power, safety. In Psalms 23, verse 6, again, in the message version, it says this. Your beauty and love chase after me all the days of my life. I thought about you, David, this morning, and it said this, I'm back home. Your beauty and your love chase after me every day of my life. I am back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. I just see you under an umbrella once again, an umbrella. The Father's house is an umbrella. It can be storming in other places, but not where the umbrella is. There's something that God puts over our lives. It's, the house is an umbrella. It's a, it's a fortress. The Bible says that it's a fortress that the righteous run to and are they're safe. The Bible says he's a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. I can't tell you it's safe out there. It's not even safe in our government. 
But can I tell you, all hell can be breaking loose and trouble everywhere. COVID could be everywhere. But can I tell you this? Walmart ain't going to keep you safe. They don't even sanitize their carts, I don't think. I'm being funny. But the house of the Lord is the safest place anybody could ever be. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be where his presence is. It's a safe place. I want to tell you this, and then we'll get into a time of worship. This scripture burned in my heart this past week. I couldn't even memorize it. Do you remember when Jesus, excuse me, when Jesus, yes, when Jesus was going to go to Pilate, he was going to the Praetorium, and he was going to be tortured, and he got arrested. He was in the garden with Peter, and Peter pulls out a sword, cuts the high priest's right-hand man's ear off. Jesus gets whisked away, and all night they beat him. They, they scourged him. They, they pulled his beard out. They, they mocked him and slapped him, and, and Peter seen what was happening to the Lord. And, and just a couple of chapters earlier, Peter said, Lord, even if all forsake you, he said, I will die with you. I will, I will fight for you. I will die with you. He said, even if all forsake you, I'm your man. And Jesus lovingly says this, before I feel the spirit. He said, before the rooster crows, three times you will deny me. So Jesus prophetically seen what Peter was going to do. And here's what I wanted to share with you. Peter, Peter follows Jesus at a distance while Jesus is being tortured and Jesus is being accused. And there's this little verse of scripture I want to read to you. This is very profound. It's Mark chapter 14 for your reference, verse 53 through 54. And it says this, and they led Jesus away to the high priest and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. But Peter, Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And this is the verse I wanted to highlight to you. And he sat with the servants, the people that were crucifying Jesus in that setting. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. He warmed himself. And you know what the Spirit said to me? Reminded me of this quote from a preacher. He said, when you learn, excuse me, when you lose your internal fire, you need external fires to warm you. When you lose, he lost his fire. He denied Jesus. He lost his fire. And so he needed external things to warm himself. And, and, and so this scripture jumped out at me. I'm going to read this one, and then we're going, to, we're going to pray. We're going to worship. In Isaiah 50, verse 11, it says, it says this in the NLT version, but watch out you who live on your own, who live outside of the Father's house, who make your own way, make your own living, make your own decisions, choose your own spouse, Choose your own destiny and calling. But watch out you who live in your own light and warm yourselves by your own fires. 
This is the reward you'll receive from me. I I struggled reading this, but this is the word for the hour. This reward you will receive from me and you will soon fall down in great torment. What what God God is not, he's not, he's, he's lovingly rebuking his people. He's saying, listen, the answers are not out there. The answers aren't in any specific church. It's in the Father's house. And the Father's house isn't just these walls. This should be a celebration. Sunday morning is just us all getting together of su- during a time. We should already live that way the other six days of the week. And then Sunday morning comes and we all come celebrate what God had been doing the rest of the week. So the rest of the week, we should be living in the Father's house. Where's the Father's house? In the secret place. He doesn't dwell in temple made with hands. He dwells on the inward parts of our hearts. And so this morning as we worship, just for a moment, we, we, I feel the Lord calling us to recommit to be connected to his house. And it doesn't just mean a church building. It can mean that. And it does mean that. But it means something much more, something much deeper, something much more profound. Because when we connect to his heart, we will connect to his house. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.